single, married, rich, poor, middle class, Republican, Democrat, independent, young, old, introverted, extroverted, quirky, normal, weak, powerful, successful, struggling, brilliant, average, athletic, and the not so much. Black, white, brown, Caleb with blonde locks, Isaac with dreadlocks, and so much more. Friends, what do all these types of people, different types of people have in common? We are all welcome to come to Jesus. Good morning, beloved. My name is Isaac Adams, and I bring you greetings from Iron City Church. It's a joy to be with you all today, uh, not just because your Pastor Caleb is one of my dearest friends, but also because the last time I was with you all, it was your one-year anniversary as a church. Uh, so it's good to see God's faithfulness to you all over the years. It's gone from the school to the gym. Here we are on the way up, and it is uh, it's good to see you guys. Good to be back. Good to see you guys. Uh, I say it's good to see you guys, but truth be told, I can't really see you guys. Um, that's because my fam family, as Caleb said, we came down to do Disney, as we did many years ago when I first preached for y'all. Uh, except on this trip, my beloved wife, whom I adore, uh, my wife and I were riding the roller coaster on Thunder Mountain a couple of days ago. And on the last turn, the coaster jerked real hard. Uh, she flailed her arm, accidentally smacked me in the face, because don't you know that's how you say I love you at Disney? <laughs> and my glasses, like my specs, like how I see things, they went soaring. I don't mean the ride at Epcot. They went flying. Uh, so yeah, I've been kind of blind these last few days, really learning what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> but here's the deal, okay? Caleb and I are such besties, uh, and we are so similar that we actually have similar prescriptions. And so Caleb has left me his glasses. <laughs> I am going to wear said glasses, okay? Wow, there's people here. Okay, here we go. I think we're going to make it through this. Caleb, thank you. I don't know where you are. Can't see you, but at least I have near vision. Um, so I ask for your grace in case I need to stare real hard at my notes. But I want to also ask for your help. And here's how you can help me, okay? You already have. If you're encouraged at any point in the sermon, since I can't see that well, your bright, smiling faces... If you would, just shout amen. amen. Just shout amen. If you're encouraged at any point in the sermon, just shout amen. I will not be offended or distracted, okay? And can we just practice this real quick? I'm going to say something that Christians have always believed, and you just shout amen. Here we go. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. amen. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Amen? amen. He is coming again to judge both the living and the dead. Amen? Amen. 
Amen, my sisters and brothers at the Grove. Friends, I may not have my glasses this morning, but you better believe I got the gospel. And we are going to be rejoicing in and thinking about that good news today. Specifically this morning, we're going to be thinking about the freeness of salvation. The freeness of salvation. And by that I mean how widely God offers salvation. How indiscriminately he offers it. Uh, beloved, the good news of the gospel is not just that salvation is free, but that it's free to all. For all. That's one of those times you say amen. 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 Beloved, the good news of the gospel is not just that salvation is free, but that it's free to all and for all. Amen. Amen. Friends, no one is barred from coming to God except those who reject God. No one is barred from coming to God except those who reject reject God. That's what sin fundamentally is. Rejection of God. A rebellion against God. All of us have sinned. All of us are without excuse before God, and so we deserve God's wrath. And friends, I know this is a hard word, but what we're considering this morning isn't primarily hard, but sweet. Sweet. How? How's it sweet? Turn to John 6. John chapter 6. Uh, There we find Jesus who has walked on water and just miraculously fed 5,000 people. And Jesus goes on to explain that he, not the food he supernaturally gave them, but he is their greatest need. And yet his own people did not believe him. Which brings us to what Jesus says in our verse, John 6 37, let's read it now. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, whoever, Friends, that word, whoever, is the word I want us to meditate on as we think about the blessings of salvation which are made free to all by the gospel. So at my church, Iron City Church, we recently did a series of sermons in which we had one sermon on an entire book. You might call them overview sermons. Uh, So a few weeks ago, most recently, I preached on the entire gospel of Mark in one sermon. And one reason we're preaching overview sermons is because I think it helps us better put together our Bibles. It helps us to see the one story that God is telling in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a great altitude to look at Scripture from. Just like when you're on a plane, you look out and see, okay, so this is how the city is laid out. And so we've been doing overview sermons, kind of. 30,000 foot view of different biblical books. It's a helpful altitude from which to read scripture. But, 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 that's not the only way 
to read, preach, or meditate on Scripture. No, we could take one verse, one word of the Bible, and twirl it around like a diamond and think about it. Squeeze it and see what juice comes to mix my metaphors. And I say all that to say this morning we're not flying at 30,000 feet. We're going to sea level instead. We're going to take out our magnifying glass and stare at one word in John 6, 37. Whoever. That word. If you're taking notes, circle that word. Whoever in John 6, 37. That's the word we'll think about this morning as we meditate on the freeness of God's salvation. What can we learn from such, med such meditation? Three things. Number one, anyone can come to Jesus. Point number one, anyone can come to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, not whoever cleans themselves up enough and comes to me, not whoever has all their questions answered and comes to me with enough faith. Kids, Jesus doesn't say whoever is old enough can come to me. No, kids, friends, Jesus simply says whoever. Now, there are stipulations to be sure. Uh, to come to Jesus in no small part means we're signing up to do what he wants, even when it's not what we want. And we'll talk more about this later. But friends, my question for you now is this. Are you surprised by that simple word, whoever? But does it arrest you? That as one historic Baptist confession states, nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth. Who is the greatest sinner you know? Don't look at them if they're here. <laughs> Just think about it. And if you were tempted to look at someone else, I'd submit to you the worst sinner you know is the person you see in the mirror. That said, I understand in normal human experience, we all have a category for people who are obviously a mess, who more obviously have a ton of sin in their life. Uh, earlier I said all of us are sinners, and that's true, but it's also true that different sins lead to different natural consequences that manifest themselves more evidently, more tragically. So I think of a Recent person I met in Washington, in Washington D.C., where I was before I moved to Birmingham. I had scheduled a lunch with a white man whom I had heard of, was introduced to, but I didn't really know. So in he walks, and he is as old as a grandpa and as sweet as one, too. You'd never guess it from looking at him now, but decades ago, this man, Tom, was a member of the KKK. He hated black people. He bombed the homes of Jews. He served time in prison. Now, we would all agree Tom was a great sinner. But guess what happened? In prison, he came to faith in a greater savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who radically changed his life. And at our lunch, Tom and I talked about how happy we were to be brothers and friends. If there's hope for Tom, there's hope for you. Anyone can.
can come to Jesus. And my question for you, sisters and brothers, is this. Do you share the gospel as if that's true? Do you pray as if that's true? Who are some of your evangelistic yeah rights? Like, if someone put a megaphone to your thoughts, we'd hear, yeah, right, will that person ever come to Jesus? You know, Kristen, that girl who was drunk at food and wine this past weekend, you think she would come to Jesus? Yeah, right. Well, beloved, if I looked at Tom's life when he was making that pipe bomb, I would have said, yeah, right. But then again, if you would have looked at my life when I was a freshman in college, acting a fool, you wouldn't see, Caleb. <laughs> when I was a freshman in college, acting a fool, you would have said, you're right. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me, anyone can come to Jesus. And as John 6.37 promises, uh, all who the Father gives to the Son will come. Not can, not might, will come. And the means, the ways the Father uses for them to come is people like us sharing the gospel. So pray for surprising people. Witness to surprising people. Scatter the gospel widely because after all, we don't know who belongs to the Father and who doesn't. Could be anyone and anyone can come to Jesus. And that means different people will come to Jesus. What can we learn from meditating on the freeness of salvation? Point number two, different people will come to Jesus. Different people will come to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever comes to me. Not whoever among this particular political party, not whoever among this race or ethnicity, not whoever in this certain socioeconomic class, not whoever is from this country, kids, not whoever gets these grades in school, no kids, friends, he simply says whoever. Isaac and Caleb, Harry Morrison and Cassandra Emiliachik, Linda Daniels and Rodley Noel, Single Zach Leonard and Jenny Wagner, who is not single, has lots of kids. You get it. Different people come to Jesus. I mean, that's what your church website says, right? You go to lifeatthegrove.org, and you click on I'm new, click, click. Then you click on to the grove, click, click. Then you click on missions and convictions, click, click. And you read these words. We. This collection of redeemed sinners in Claremont, Florida, believe Sundays are a dress rehearsal each week of what eternity will look like. And one way the Bible describes eternity is that it will be diverse in languages, races, and ethnicities. Part of what makes community compelling is when what brings us together is greater than what pulls us apart. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater than any divide we have in different ethnicities or generations. End quote. 
And my sisters and brothers at the Grove, you have to believe that as a church because different kinds of people come to Jesus. Amen. That, that different people come to Jesus. Isn't that what King David showed us in 1 Samuel 22? You remember that, per, that passage we heard earlier, how all those different types of people gathered around David. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Beloved, does that sound like anyone else you know? Sisters and brothers, different types of people didn't gather around King David because he was nice on the harp, but because David foreshadowed the ministry of a greater commander, a greater leader, a greater king to come who would have a diverse following. The Jewish apostle Peter and the Roman soldier Cornelius. You can read about them in Acts 10. And thinking of Peter, I think we do well to think about Jesus' disciples for a moment. Because, uh, y'all, sometimes I think we think of Jesus' disciples as if they were all-cultural. But we just think about them in the abstract. Like they were just Jesus' friends, just a bunch of neutral dudes. But they were normal humans. Like you and me, which means they had backgrounds and cultures and jobs and opinions and preferences and sin, which means they would wrongly elevate all those things about themselves. Right? Just think of Matthew, the tax collector, the slimy servant of the oppressor, Rome, and Simon the Zealot, the Robin Hood who worked against Rome, Two different men who came to the God-man, Jesus. I love this. He took these two polar opposites and said, y'all are going to be in a new small group together. <laughs> now, here's how one pastor said it as he spoke about Jesus' diverse group of followers. He said, Matthew was a tax collector who loved Rome. Simon was a Jewish zealot who hated Rome. They came to Jesus with radically different political views, yet found unity in Jesus. Matthew learned to, ro to love Rome less. Simon learned to love Rome more. They both learned to love Jesus most. Oh, sisters and brothers, may we love Jesus most. If we do, our churches will show a divided and dividing world, a different world. But friends, we can't do that. Can't show the divided and dividing world a different world. Can't do that. If we wrongly divide from each other over our differences. Sisters and brothers, I wonder if you've cast out of your heart, a fellow church member whom Jesus has welcomed into his heart because they differ from you. Imagine this. 
Imagine your best friend is throwing a party, a feast. And at the party is your favorite food. So for me, it's fried calamari and Oreo milkshakes. I'm just like, this party gonna be off the chain. Just imagine you're at your favorite party with your favorite food, your favorite music, your favorite people. Someone knocks at the door. You look up, expecting to see another person you love walk in, and in walks your enemy. And to make matters worse, your best friend who's throwing the party invited them and walks over to them and gives them a huge hug, as big of a hug as they gave you. Friends, what would you be thinking? I'd be standing there, jaw dropped, calamari falling out of my mouth. Like, what is happening? Now, Imagine if I walked over to my enemy who just came through the door at the party, grabbed them by the collar, and shoved them back out the door. My best friend, the host of the feast, would rightly look at me and say, Isaac, who do you think you are? It is not your place to disinvite anyone from this party that you did not plan or pay for. Oh, but friends, isn't it scary? How easy it is to throw people out of God's party, if only in our own hearts, when we don't like how they differ from us. When we, let's be honest, think we're better than them. Isn't that what we see in the prodigal son's brother in Luke 15? Isn't that what we see in Jonah scorning the Ninevites' salvation, sitting there, arms folded, grumpy at grace. Friends, is it what you see in your own heart? If it is, repent. Repent. And remember that Greater than any of our differences are two things we all have in common. Number one, we're all made in God's image. And number two, we're all in desperate need of Jesus. So we might look at someone and think, Republican, oh. Democrat, oh. American, oh. Young, oh. Disney cast member, ugh. Non-Disney cast member, ugh. Or try this one on for size. He wore a mask during the pandemic, ugh. She didn't wear a mask during the pandemic, ugh. We might say those things. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me. Anyone can come to Jesus. Different people will come to Jesus, which means, finally, you can come to Jesus. And you should. Point number three. What can we learn from meditating on the freeness of salvation? You can come to Jesus. And you should. Jesus will never cast you out. Psalm 27, in it, the psalmist writes, my father and my mother, the most foundational relationships in his life, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
In 2 Kings 17, God explains the exile of Israel, saying he cast them out of his sight because of their sin. Friend, that is exactly what Jesus will never do to you if you come to him in faith. Why? Why? Because Jesus was already cast out of God's presence on behalf of all those who trust in him by faith. Beloved, on the cross, Jesus experienced to an infinite degree what Adam and Eve experienced after they sinned. Exile from fellowship with God. On the cross, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, the life you and I could never live, he died in the place of sinners, taking the wrath, the aggravated condemnation we deserve for our sins. And Jesus was raised three days later so that anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him would be forgiven of their sins and welcomed into his fellowship forever. If you're here and you're not a Christian, hear this gentle but clear command from God. Come. Come. Stop trying to run your own life. Trust in what Jesus did on the cross in your place. Come to him in faith today. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how sad you are, how bad you are. Jesus says, whoever, meaning you, come. Come. And if you're here and you are a Christian, this is not a one-time deal. Like we come to Jesus, and then we go on with the rest of our lives. No, beloved, like the tide of the shore, we're coming back for more. Brothers and sisters, we're only saved once, of course, but we keep coming to Jesus. But we don't ever leave. Where else would we go? He has the words of life. What else could we do? He's done it all. I love that earlier in John chapter 6, people asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Such a good question. The Bible's full of good questions. What do we got to be do? What do we got to do to be doing the works of God, stuff of God? What, what does God want from me? What, what should I do? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. That's it. In other words, believe in Jesus and keep believing in Jesus. Friends, do you hear the surprising simplicity? If you ask a bunch of hard-working Claremont types who didn't have God's grace, hey, how do you do the work of God? You get all these complicated answers, full of ingenuity and striving for the next level of spirituality, but Jesus simply says, believe in me. Believe in me. And does it surprise you? The one who is so holy, Jesus, would always welcome you. If you do. Should. Should surprise us. But then again, the more we get to know Jesus, maybe it's not so surprising after all. He, after all, is the one who came and shed his blood for us, whoever we may be. And don't we see this truth? When we take the Lord's Supper, Caleb, I know you're going to lead us into the table, so I'm not trying to do that. But I'm a pastor, so I can't help myself. 
Beloved, isn't this what the Lord's table, that all different types of redeemed sinners come together and gather around? Isn't this what the table shows us, that Jesus shed his blood for us, whoever we may be? Friends, this is a meal for every kind of sinner, so long as we're repentant sinners. Praise God. Let me wrap this up, because I didn't come this morning with a complicated word. I came with a simple one. A few weeks ago at my congregation, Iron City Church, I preached Mark chapter 2, specifically the verses that talk about Jesus eating with different types of sinners. Those verses say, and as Jesus reclined at table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Beloved, isn't this what we sinners who follow Jesus get in the supper? A foretaste of what it's like at Jesus' table. All different types of us. We are welcome to Jesus. Welcome. Don't have to come timid. Don't have to come embarrassed. Don't have to come wondering, is there enough mercy for me today? I really blew it this week. No, we're welcome to come to Jesus. He's excited to see us there at the table. So we should welcome one another, be excited for one another, root one another on to come to Jesus at this meal. I love what Shylin said about Peter pulling back from different types of sinners at a meal. Meal times are really revealing. In Galatians 2, do you know that scene? Peter is at a meal, eating with Gentiles, and because of his fear of man, some other Jews are coming, and Peter pulls back from different types of sinners that Jesus pled for. Commenting on the scene, Shailene said, Shailene said, Jesus made no ethnic distinctions whatsoever in whom he died for. So why would we, Jesus' people, make ethnic distinctions in terms of whom we fellowship with? Beloved, if we make distinctions in whom we fellowship with, we're like Peter, who is out of step with the gospel. If we make distinctions in terms of whom we fellowship, we're like the Pharisees and the scribes and Mark, who Mark says when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Good question. Beloved, I'll tell you why Jesus does that. It's because he welcomes anyone. Different ones you to come to him whoever you may be come to him today let's pray